And today we're going to talk about the rules in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about how Jesus loves us more than the rules. And have you ever run into somebody who loves, loves the rules? Just a rule follower. And see, I'm not naturally like this. I'm more like, yeah, close enough. Yeah, good enough. Let's cut the corner here. Let's, on the way to church this morning, we had a sermon about how we usually think that God's commandments don't apply to us. And he said, how about speeding? You sit there and you, you speed and things like that. And I'm always speeding in the car to get here. And my kids are always aware of it now. They're old enough to be aware of it. And they're always saying, how fast are you going, Papa? As I'm flying down the road. It's okay to go 10 over. Usually, usually like 8 over is really good. 10, you're pushing it. And I hear this sermon on the rules, and my first thought is, well, surely that rule doesn't apply to me. And Jesus loves us more than the rules. And have you ever met somebody who's just a rule, they're passionate about the rules? We went to fly uh, to St. Louis from Minnesota. And I get to the airport, and I... Get in line. We go through all the checks. You know, you got to wait in line. Get your shoes off. Get whatever it is. You know, wait in line. Go through the kiosk. And I get to the place where they're going to take my ticket. And they ask for my driver's license. And I pull out my wallet. And I open it up. And I take out my driver's license. And I hand it to him. The guy says, this is no good. And I looked at him. And I was, what? And it, I, the corner was clipped. And I realized I had to renew my license a few weeks ago. And I, they clipped the thing. They hadn't sent me the new one yet. And the papers, they were at home. But I've got this clip license. And it's it's, you can tell it's a normal, it's perfectly fine. They just clipped the corner. And he says, I can't let you on. I said, well, this is clearly my license. It shows my name, my face, my address, everything, my date of birth. I didn't make this up. The state issued it to me. It just has a corner missing. It's the same thing that it was two weeks ago. I says, I can't let you on. And I open up my wallet and I say, well, I'm, I can prove to you I'm Jeremy Lin. Look, I've got Jeremy Lin's credit cards. I've got Jeremy Lin's checkbook. I've got Jeremy Lin's student ID from seminary. This one still has my picture on it. I've got Jeremy Lin's debit cards. I've got Jeremy Lin's library cards. He says, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. I said, honey, give him your stuff. So she takes her driver's license, her credit cards, Sarah Lind. I said, I've got Jeremy Lin's wife. <laughs> and he says, I can't let you on. And I said, well, then you, you either have to let me on this plane or arrest me for having all of Jeremy Lin's things and kidnapping his wife. It's one or the other. <laughs> and the guy was clearly there because he loved the rules. Whoever made that hire did a fantastic job. Because <laughs> this guy was passionate about his job and what he needed to do to keep that plane safe. <laughs> one time I went to the, uh, I got a parking ticket and I had to go pay it. And it's in Minnesota, you know, in the freezing cold. And of course, the courthouse is right downtown and there's no parking spaces available. When they built the city, it's like, you know, they never thought that anybody was ever going to need to park anywhere. And so you get downtown, there's nowhere to park. I have to park like six blocks away. It's the middle of winter and it's freezing out there. And you guys have no idea what it's like. You guys think you're tough, but I'm telling you, when it snows an inch, you cancel everything for three days. Out here, I feel like, it, guys, the snow is cold, but it's not poisonous. Like, it's going to be fine. In Minnesota, it's negative 10. There's heaps of snow everywhere. It's so cold. And then you got the windshield on top of that. It's so cold that you can feel the water on your eyes freezing. And as you walk, you got to blink to make sure that they don't freeze over. It's, it's insane. And so I walk block after block to get to this courthouse. 
And I get in, and oh, man. And I walk in, and there's a, a window to the left with a, a clerk sitting there, a teller, a lady. And straight ahead, there's a security guard with a metal detector. And he looked to the left, the lady, and said, I, I, I have my check written. I just need to pay this parking ticket. Can I just give this to you? And she says, no. You have to go through the metal detector and hand it to the lady in this window over here. And so she's sitting right here, and there's a window here, and there's a pillar, and then there's another person sitting right here at another window. And so I walk in, and I say, well, can't you just... Okay, fine. All right, so I I walk through the metal detector, and it beeps, and the security guys can't go through. And I go, well, I I just need to hand this check to this woman sitting right here. He says, you can't go through. And I empty my pockets, and I I take out my cell phone, and he says, sorry, no cell phones allowed. And I said, said, well, I I just need to hand this woman my check. Can't you just let me go through for just one second? I'll come back. He says, no, no cell phones allowed. And I said, well, what do people do with their cell phones? And he says, well, we ask people to put them over here. And he points to a row of cubbies on the wall. And underneath that row of cubbies is a bench with all of these absolutely rough-looking people, one after the other. And they look, and right there is a door to the courtroom. And here are criminals literally waiting their day in court. And I said, I'm not going to... It's a brand new cell phone. I'm not going to put that there. And I said, can you just hold it for me? Said, no, I can't hold it for you. And so I turned to this lady and I said, could you just hold this for me for one minute? She says, no, I can't hold that for you. And I said, forget it. And I take my check and I take my pocket and I lean over the desk and I go, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am, could you just... And the lady here, she gets up like she's playing defending Stephen Curry in basketball and she starts going like this. No, 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 you can't have the check. You can't have the check. <laughs> this is insane. And so I get back outside. I walk the six blocks to my car. I put my cell phone in my car. I walk back. I'm barely alive. I pass through. I hand the lady the check and I go back out. I said, what is wrong with these people? They just love the rules. And they don't care at all. These are real stories. This is real people. If you've broken the rules, you're out. It's over. There's no coming back from that. There's no way you're getting through this door if you've broken the rules. There's no way you're getting on this plane if you've broken the rules. And what do you think people think of the church? What's important to us? And we live in an age of complete chaos. When I'm downstairs with my kids and they're out of control, I say that because downstairs where they usually get out of control because we're usually upstairs and you hear all this stuff, crying, screaming, fighting. You come downstairs and they're running around, half-dressed, screaming, throwing things at each other. And you enter into that chaos and what do you start doing? Stop hitting your brother. Where's your clothes? Why have you taken off your... Put your diaper on. Stop hitting... And you just start shouting rules to try to regain order. And to be fair, that's where we're at in our culture. The church is Moses come down from the mountain and everybody's just gone insane. And what do you end up doing? 
We're at a place in our culture where, you know, not only do many people question God's very existence and therefore the existence of any morality whatsoever, because if you don't believe in the existence of God, there is no objective morality. It's just whatever you say and whatever you say and whatever you say. And we live in a day and age where people are so brazen, and I didn't see this coming. I just didn't think people would be that intellectually dishonest. But we have church after church and believer after believer saying God exists, and this commandment does not mean what it says. It just doesn't mean it. And not only did God not mean what he said here, but he actually supports what I'm doing. And you come into that type of bold-faced, shameless sin. And you enter into that chaos. And what do you start doing? Because the Lord's word is his wisdom. His rules are good. And no one's following them. And so the church ends up becoming just like me when I run downstairs and I look at my kids going crazy. And you start shouting, you start shouting, no drunkenness, no divorce, no sex outside of marriage, no abortions. What are you thinking? And that's people's impression, many people's impression of the church. Is that what's primarily important to God and what the church is primarily about is his rules. And what is God like? Is God like the people at the airport? Is God like the people at the courthouse? Where if you've broken his rules, that there's no way you're getting on this plane. Let's find out what God is like in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what are the law of a pro- of the, what are the law and the prophets? Well, the whole Old Testament was essentially viewed by the Jewish people as God's rules, God's law. And we're used to laws being expressly put in precepts. Thou shalt not steal. And there, there are a lot of Laws in the Old Testament that are clearly precepts and clearly laws. But the Jewish people felt that even the stories were given to portray God's laws. For example, that's why polygamy is really not ever said in a precept in the Old Testament, thou shalt not. But every single story about polygamy ends in disaster. And that's for that's how we know that polygamy is against God's laws. And that's how we knew in the old. And as the disciples came along, they said, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you need to be a husband of one wife. Because they knew it. They got it. They read the word. And not only in their culture were the precepts God's laws, but every story was God's law. And the prophets, as they spoke about the future, they were also giving God's laws and his rules. And so what Jesus is saying is, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, do not think I have come to get rid of the rules. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. Now, why would anybody think that Jesus has come to get rid of the rules? Well, because Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners, with people who were breaking God's rules. And yet, even though they were breaking God's rules, Jesus still hung out with them and spent time with them and loved them. And people thought, how can he not care? How can he not care that these people are breaking his rules? He must be from Satan. He made people extremely upset. And so they thought, and they were certainly saying it, well, this guy's not a prophet. He doesn't even care about God's rules. 
He must, he's come to get rid of them. He says we don't need to care if other people break God's rules because he clearly doesn't care. He hangs out with them all the time. And so people felt that Jesus' message of grace and forgiveness, they were mistaking it as a message that the rules didn't matter and that they weren't important. And there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament. Here's just some of the rules. Here's the precepts, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is spending time with people who are breaking these. And how can these not be important? And so the religious people were getting very upset. He's coming to abolish the rules. And you know, the first thing that people tell me when I tell them I'm a pastor, I shouldn't say it's the first thing, the most common thing that people tell me when they find out I'm a pastor, is they say, you know, Jeremy, make sure to preach a message of God's love. Don't tell people that we're sinners. Don't talk about people's sin. I had a wonderful family member who we love dearly, who attends a church, she found out I was becoming a pastor. First thing, you know what the world needs, Jeremy, is just a message of God's acceptance. Don't talk about people's sin. And I, this is back actually in the days before I had my phone, I actually had a little pocket New Testament. In the back, I, I opened it up and I said, well, actually, it's fascinating because that's not what Jesus talked about at all. Here, here's, and I opened up the words of the Bible. To, to, and she went on a 45-minute uninterrupted, without taking a breath, monologue of just whatever she could say to keep me from being able to read God's word. Demons have the strength of 10 men. I've never seen anything like it. I sat I waited for 45 minutes to be able to say something. Finally, I didn't get a chance. My father-in-law said, that's enough. Get out of the house. I've been sitting here. You haven't let the man talk for 45 minutes. I'm out of it. People don't want to hear at all about God's commandments and how we're sinners. And if you do that, if you don't tell people that they need to follow the rules when they fail, that actually isn't loving either. People think they're being loving by saying, let's get rid of the rules. But that's not loving at all. And so Jesus reiterates that he's not here to get rid of the rules. Just by having a message of forgiveness and grace doesn't mean that the rules don't matter. We see this kind of stuff from unbelievers, that kind of attitude, don't talk about sin. We see it from unbelievers, we see it from believers as well. In Romans chapter 6, the people are saying the same thing. Chapter 6, verse 1, so Paul says, well, by then what? Should we just sin all the more because we've got a message of grace? God forbid, not at all. What we do is we take that grace that God's given us and it transforms our heart to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And the interesting thing is, is a message of grace when understood properly and applied to a heart actually leads us to follow the rules more closely. It's actually not a message of condemnation. You better start doing it. That actually gets people to really transform their hearts. It's God's message of grace and forgiveness. And so a message of grace and forgiveness actually leads to a closer love of God's rules. And we're going to begin reading through this chapter of Matthew, talking about God's rules. And we're going to look at what Jesus says. And over and over and over, as he talks to these people who are mad that he's, he's 
eating and, and fellowshipping with sinners, these, these people who think he doesn't care about the rules, he can say, you think I don't care about the rules? I'm God. I made the rules. You've heard it said, you think I want to get rid of the rules. You've heard it said that you need to do this. Well, I tell you that actually to be godly, you need to do this. And as we read through the Matthew chapter 5, you find that Jesus doesn't get rid of the rules. In fact, Jesus reveals that the rules are higher than anybody ever imagined. When you look at that list of Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. Well, that doesn't provide the sum of how we're supposed to interact with each other. God, just because we've avoided not stealing doesn't mean that we've fulfilled God's commandments. Like, we need to act in love with each other and generosity. You've heard it said this. Well, I say this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You think that was what God wanted? No, he wants you to love your spouse like Jesus loves the church. You've heard it said here. Well, I tell you, the rules are actually up here. You think I came to get rid of them? They're way higher than you ever thought that they were. And so Jesus hasn't come to abolish the rules at all. And why not? We find out in Matthew chapter 22 that what Jesus says about the rules, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the writings of the Old Testament, all of the rules in the Bible hang on these two commandments. What they all are, these two commandments are like pegs in the wall. And all of the other commandments depend on them. And the principle behind all of the other commandments, what holds up all the other commandments, the purpose of all of the other commandments is Love. Love others and love God. And so this is what it looks like to be loving. God's rules aren't arbitrary. He didn't just pick a bunch of stuff and say, I'm going to test you. Don't do this and do that. And don't do this and don't do that. Don't wear the color red on a Thursday. And don't, you know, throw a football on a Wednesday. And don't, because I'm testing you to see if you'll listen. God's laws are more than that. They're deep wisdom about what love actually looks like. And so all of those laws in the Old Testament that you don't understand, what they have to be compatible with is love. And those commandments right now in your life that you don't want to follow, and you don't think it hurts anybody, and you don't think it matters, it actually does. And the Lord is wise and good in giving that commandment, and whether you understand the purpose, can see how it blesses or hurts others or not, you need to trust in the Lord, repent of your sin, and follow that commandment to the very best of your ability with all of your heart. And every time you fail, you need to repent because you've been unloving. That commandment does matter. And Jesus doesn't get rid of the rules because he can't. The rules are literally what it looks like to love God and love others. And if it came naturally to us, if we were godly people, he wouldn't have had to give us all these rules. But turns out we're actually not godly people. What we are is sinful people, and we need help. And what comes naturally to us is to be unloving. And if you can't see how the rules that you're breaking are unloving, it's because Satan is blinding you to the truth of God in your life and the wisdom of God in your life. 
and is getting you to reject God's commandment and God's way to love and instead replace it with your own way to love and you become your own God. That you think you know better than the Lord about what is actually loving and what is actually not. And so as we preach a message of grace, believers and unbelievers are tempted to take the rules and say, you know what, they don't matter. We can't follow them, so let's not talk about them. The Romans chapter 6, one thing. But Jesus says the rules, they're not less important. He says they're more important. And as a church, when we talk about Jesus loving us more than the rules, it does not mean that we have brought the rules any less. In fact, you need to take a rethinking of your mind. The rules are even more important than you had ever imagined. The rules are way up here. This is what it looks like to be loving. And Jesus says that he's not come to get rid of them. They're true. They're always true. Verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And an iota is the Greek letter I. It has a little dot on it, just like our letter I. It's teeny. And Jesus says the laws are so important. God's love is so important that none of this, none of this will pass away. What was good from the beginning of time is good till the end of time. What was evil from the beginning of time is evil till the end of time. And none of that will change. The laws are good. They reveal to us what God's love is, and they will always do that to us and do that for us. None of them will go away. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, the least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That makes my job extremely difficult. I'm not here to complain. I just want to do a good job. I want you to know it's not easy. I, as your pastor, if I teach you any other way than Jesus teaches you, I've failed you, and I'm going to be in trouble when I meet him. He's going to say, I wanted you to shepherd my sheep this way, but you told him it was fine for them to do that and fine for them to do this and fine for them to do that. You're least, pal. Maybe you won't say the pal. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when I get there. I'm doing premarital counseling right now. And read Matthew chapter 19. When Jesus talks about marriage and talks about how we can never separate from our spouse because what God has joined together, let not man separate, the disciples look at Jesus and they say, if this is the case with a man and a woman, it's better not to marry. You're telling me I got to have this kind of commitment? And if I do anything other, if I teach people anything other than the way Jesus is taught, I say, it's actually not that big of a deal. I know he said this, but he didn't mean it. Then I will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And not only do we have to come with the truth in the word, we've got to come with the truth in the spirit. And so as a pastor, and you as Christians, as you go throughout your life, Not only do you have to hold to the word, but you've got to hold to it with God's love. 
That's incredibly difficult. I was talking with my daughter the other day and she had been doing something that she had been doing for weeks and we kept telling her not to do it, not to do it, not to do it. And she did it. I had got mad and I said without any love at all, honey, this is exactly what we're talking about. And she goes, immediately, she goes, I'm sorry. I thought, no one has ever done that before. That's an incredible response. I said, sweetheart, I'm amazed at your humility. I forgive you immediately. I came without God's love at all. And normally, every time we do that, we just drive people away. And as a pastor, I want to bring God's truth because I love you. Because this truth is what it looks like to be loving to others and loving to God. But I also can't do it without God's love because I've failed the Lord then if I've done it that way too. And this is what we have to do to follow Jesus. We can't relax his commandments. We can't lessen his love either. This means every sermon I think I've ever given, I have significant repentance to give to the Lord. And we've got a problem with this, not only in our churches, but as people. Someone we love starts doing something ungodly, and last week we would have believed in God's word, but this week the person we love is doing it, and we just can't stick to it, because, you know, we love them more than we love the Lord, to be honest. And so they start doing it, and we say, that's fine. I love you anyway, honey. I support you and I embrace you. And we turn away from God's commandments and we encourage others to do the same. And it won't be good for us when we meet the Lord. You think Jesus doesn't want to talk about our sin? Wait till you find him and you meet him and you have to answer to him for how you've encouraged other people to do ungodly things. And that's where we're at in our culture. Read the end of Romans chapter one. They not only break God's word, but they embrace and support it when they do. And that's where we're at as a culture. The culture shifts and the church in a pathetic, cowardly, spineless, sniveling church goes after the culture rather than the Lord. And the culture says, we don't believe in this commandment of God anymore. And the church goes, well, it took us a couple months, but turns out we don't either. Come to this church. We'll fly your flag. We'll come after you. We'll let you do anything you want. Live with anyone you want. I got news for you. If we embrace their sin, they're still not going to love the Lord. It doesn't work. As your pastor, I'm going to bring you the word of the Lord. And I deeply want each one of you to follow along. But if there end up being three of us, I'm going with the Lord. And if you leave the church, God bless you and we'll pray for you. But we're following the Lord. And what we do is we invite you to come along with us. Because it's no good to fill our churches with people who are following Satan and convincing themselves that they're Christians. That's going to do no good for nobody. I got news for you. I think the church growth movement in the United States is over. If you haven't been paying attention, it's done. 
I don't know what the future holds for the church. And I don't know what the future holds for HCC, but I know we'll follow the Lord. I think at one time this church had 400 people coming to it. May the Lord move in our community that we can get 400 people out the door and into this church. Because the culture has convinced them to be afraid of large gatherings. Anybody who's following Satan can't get out of the house anymore because they're so filled with fear. May the Lord deliver the people of Harrisonville and surrounding communities that they can be brave enough to get out the door and to get in a room with other people. And if you get upset at anything I say, come up and let me know. I'm actually very nice. I won't yell at you. <laughs> and I'm probably committed most of the sins that you're committing at the, at the moment. But we're going to follow the Lord. In a few weeks, I want you to be praying for a sermon on divorce. I'm letting you know that because I don't want anybody to be blindsided when they come in the door. Preaching a sermon on divorce is different than preaching a sermon on greed. We can all come to church and pretend that we're not greedy. And if we are greedy, at least we can think that nobody else is noticing. (laughs) And you preach a message on greed and it hits nobody. And none of us change and none of us repent because we all think it's for someone else. But the sins that you can see are different because you can't deny them. And if, if you've committed sins that you can see, you're actually far ahead spiritually than most people who have been able to hide their sin because you can't and you've got to deal with it. And to deal with it, there's really not much else than to turn away and embrace it, which most people don't want to do. Or you turn to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And you actually find it. And it changes you. I was going to preach a message on divorce. And divorce is incredibly sensitive. Not because, just because we have people here who have been divorced who we love. But also divorce and the marriage that preceded it is usually the source of people's greatest pain in life. And you preach a message on divorce... And the person sitting there just thinks, but what about all this sin that happened before? And then a lot of people who've been divorced in the church have been treated really poorly because their sin is visible. And so I want you to be praying for that sermon. Because the Lord has something that he wants to say to all of us, and Satan doesn't want us to hear it. So be praying for that sermon. The whole point is that divorce is a sin, and we'll talk about why it's a sin even in a terrible situation. It's not the only sin. I'm not standing in judgment of anybody. You might have stuck it out way longer than I could have. But it's something that needs to be repented of. We're going to talk about why, in even the worst of scenarios, there's something to repent, be repent of in divorce. And then, the whole point of it is that divorce is a sin, but Jesus loves you more. And so be praying for that sermon. As a pastor, I can't do anything other than bring you the word of the Lord because I'm getting in trouble for it if I don't. Whoever relaxes one of his commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least. Whoever does them and teaches others to do them will be called great. I don't know what one you're going for, but I know what one I'm going for. As much as I love you, I love the Lord more. And I love you more if I follow him and teach you to do the same. And Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And some churches stop teaching God's rules because they don't seem to understand how important the rules are. And Jesus tells that churches abandon the rules and follow the culture will be least. And the rules show us to act in a loving manner, and God gives us those rules for our benefit. But it's not the main message. Because the rules can never save us. He looks at the Pharisees, and we talked about the Pharisees last week. These are God-fearing people, people who are trying to do the right thing, people who cared so much about God's rules that they wrote them down on pieces of paper and taped them to their forehead to remind themselves constantly of God's rules because it's so hard to follow them. I need a constant reminder. I'm going to tape them on my forehead. I actually saw a Jewish person walking around the Kansas City Zoo with the rules of God taped on their forehead. I thought, well, that's a fantastic idea, frankly. But to be in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells us, you've got to be even more righteous than those persons. Who can do that? These people spend all of their time for, who can do that? Who can be more righteous than they are? If you have your phones, uh, do me a favor, take out your phone and go to Harrisonville Community Church on Facebook and friend us, and then go down. I've got a video that Bo emailed out that is a sermon illustration for today. I used to sit down, I used to watch TV back in the day, and they had a station called G4, and there was this show out of Japan, I think it was, called Unbeatable Banzuke, and I don't know what that word means. I might have just sworn in Japanese, but it was a fantastic show, and it was a game show, and they called it Unbeatable Bands, I imagine, means something like challenge, the unbeatable challenge. And, you know, they've got a never-ending amount of people over there. Their population is massive, and they've got a never-ending of people who want to get themselves on TV. And so they made this challenge. They said, we're just going to run these people through this obstacle course and make it impossible. And we're just going to have them go one after another. We're going to have, watch them fail, and we're going to laugh like crazy. And so they did. And so they have these challenges, like one after another, seven or eight of them in a row that are all impossible. And they put you on a pogo stick. And then you need to jump across poles and land the pogo stick on a pole. And these people would practice and they'd get amazing at it. And they hop across four poles and go. And then the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy, one after the other. And then they put you on a bike after that. And then put a, a, a tightrope across a pond, and then they'd ask you to ride the bike across the pond, and then you, after that, you have to ride, hop on rocks with the bike across the rocks, and you have to do all these things, and nobody can do it. And one after another, they fall, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail. And you watch the show, you think, no one's ever going to beat this thing. And that is the Old Testament. That's what it's set up like for ungodly people to be godly. You're never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. I can never follow all of these. You'll never follow all of these. The Apostle Paul tells us the law was our teacher until grace had come. Because the law, if anybody thinks that they aren't in need of Jesus Christ, try being godly you'll fail. Who can do that? Who can belong with God? God is perfect. And God cannot be in the presence of imperfection. As God, he'll destroy it. And people say, well, that doesn't sound like a perfect God. A perfect God would take unperfect people in his presence. Actually, it, it, you're misunderstanding it. The metaphor is light and dark. 
It's good and evil. God can't take evil into his presence without destroying it. For then it would mean that he's no longer good. God is perfect and we are not. None of us can stand in his presence on our own. We've all broken God's rules, every one of us. Who can follow this? The answer is Jesus can follow this. Jesus gets on the bike in our place. And first he hops across the poles and then he hops across the rocks and then he rides his bike across the tightrope in our place for us. If you read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, I haven't come to get rid of them, but he has come to do something more than just shout at us when we fail. He says, I've come to fulfill them. I've come to do it. Who can be more righteous than this? Well, Jesus. And turns out he's the only one. We've all broken God's rules. And some people don't teach the rules because they don't know how important the rules are. But then other people don't teach you how much Jesus loves you because they don't know how much God loves you. And as important as the rules are, when we break the rules, God doesn't say, that's it, it's over, it's done. You're never getting on this plane. What he says is, I'll do it for you because I love you that much. As good as the rules are, the rules are what it means to be loving. As important as the rules are, as much as God loves his rules because they're good, God loves you more. God loves you more than the rules that you've broken. Those sins that you can't follow, those things that you try your very best at and fail over and over and over again. God loves you more than that. So he came in the flesh to do what you can't do, which is follow them in your place so that you could have that righteousness. And then he gives you that righteousness. After he finishes the course, he turns and gives you his time and his score so that you can get on the airplane. I can't follow rules. And so we sit there and the Christian says, this rule is what it is and it's very important. And I can't tell you anything otherwise. But what I can tell you is that Jesus loves you more. And then what we do is inspired by his grace, we pick up our bike and we follow his lead and we try to hop across the pond on the poles again and try to get a little farther before we fall off. And then we do it again. And then we do it again. Because Jesus has already done it in our place and he's taken the pressure off. And we don't do it to try to win anymore. We do it because we love him. And we've been changed by that sacrifice and grace for us. And it turns out God isn't like the people at the airport or the courthouse. It turns like he's not like the parent who comes downstairs and just shout, starts shouting at everybody. There's something that God loves more. And you can measure his love for you by his sacrifice on the cross. That's how much God loves you.
every bit of pain he endured. It's because he has a deep, deep love for you. And if you want to be saved, if you want to know the Lord, and if you want to get to heaven, the answer is to stop saying that the things that you're doing wrong don't matter or that you're not doing those things wrong. The answer is to follow the Lord and believe him when he says that this is what it's like to be loving and repent of your sins and then know that there's a way for you to still get on the airplane. And it's through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to fail. So he's done it in your place so that he can give you that success and you can get in. And if you want to know that you're saved, repent of your sins and trust in the Lord. And what it means to trust in the Lord is that you stop denying that you're not a sinner and you stop trying to be perfect so you can be saved, but instead you look to the Lord for your salvation and your forgiveness.